We've all seen the incredible horse and rider combinations as the backbone of our sport. But what about everything else that makes the equestrian world tick? From the everyday grind to the world-class professional, join the Equestrian Podcast as we talk about every equestrian discipline in a way that hasn't been done before. Now here's your host, rider, trainer, and influencer behind my equestrian style, Bethany Lee. Hello, friends. Welcome back to the Equestrian Podcast. I'm your host, Bethany Lee, and this is episode 168. Our guest worked super hard to get where she is today, but has always been a horse girl. She now is based in the Netherlands, and she has a ton of experience working with young horses to develop them for clients or working with clients who are looking for new horses or people in the U.S. who reach out to her looking for horses to import. Um, She also offers amazing training packages for riders who want to come over to Europe and ride and kind of get the European experience or have a horse developed for them. So I think it's a really unique opportunity that a lot of us have needed at one point in time in our lives as a potential horse buyer or looking to gain experience as a young rider. So without further ado, I would love to welcome our guest today, Kim Pickle. I would love to hear kind of the full background story of how you first kind of got into into riding and and the equestrian world and a bit of the winding road that got you to where you are today. Oh, oh my gosh. Well, it's a it's a long story as you know, I'm in my 30s now, so and I mean we all have a have a tale to tell when we've been in the business this long. So, I started as a kid just being totally horse crazy. You know, my parents joke like they don't think I'd ever even seen a horse and I was like, "Oh my god, I love horses." And we're like, where did she get this from? So it just kind of, um, you know, developed from there. As a kid, I would ride anything I could get my hands on. I was a working student in the community that I'm from, which is Reno, Nevada, of Julie Winkle and Maplewood Stables fame. So I worked for her. I, you know, worked for some private people and then owned a pony and a thoroughbred. You know, I didn't have an illustrious like junior career or a children's career. I was, you know, the total barn rat just cleaning stalls and, you know, just trying to ride whatever I could. And, and, you know, it was, it was also tough. I mean, you know, you think that it's like fun and you look back on it and you're like, there was a lot of fun memories, but it was also like, a lot of really, really hard work for somebody that was, you know, 10 or 11, 12, 13, 14 years old. And so that was the beginning. I actually quit riding in my late teen years and I skied for a couple of years just to kind of try to be normal because I was so horse crazy. And then as I um, got older, I actually went back to university. I started university for the second time because I dropped out of university to ski. And then I was like, oh, I got to go back. So I ended up being part of the UNR, University of Nevada, Reno equestrian team. And that was one of those moments where I was like, oh, I love this. I really, really want to ride. And so that was the beginning of the seed being planted of like, hmm, what's the best way to do this? Like, I want to ride the big classes. I want to know how the jumpers work. And and I started being like, I'm going to think how to get to Europe. So I finished university. I was like, you know, hopped from job to job. I was an assistant trainer for a hunter rider. Then I worked um, as a groom in thermal. And then I took a job with Rudy Leone and Jan and Jill Humphrey and worked there for a little bit. I learned a lot 
and really was like, oh, this is like the European way. You know, Jill really rides like a European and so does her sister Jan. And I was like, still want to get there. So anyway, on the long road to getting to Europe, it took, you know, a good amount of time. From the time I went back to university, I was 18. By the time I made it to Europe, I was 27. And so... So then I um, found myself living in Lake Tahoe. I had, you know, quit Jan and Jill's and I was kind of taking a breather, trying to figure out where I wanted to be. And I, I got an opportunity from a friend of mine who was working at an equitation barn in Florida. And she, she was like, hey, come out. We need some help for the winter circuit and we'd love to have you. It's like a great learning opportunity. You know, you're going to meet a lot of people. Like you could really like find yourself in a position that'll help your riding grow. Like maybe you can find a way to get to Europe, you know, just kind of those kind of conversations that, you know, you have with people just seeking opportunities in in the horse industry. And so, so anyway, right around that time, I, I also ended up losing my best childhood friend to, to suicide. And yeah, it was, you know, it's one of those things where you're just like, oh my God, like, okay, well, I'm fine, you know, and my family could see like, you're not okay. But I was like, no, I'm, I'm okay. I'm going to still go to Florida. And so, you know, I like pushed through and I went to Florida, but I was like, I mean, I was out of control. I was like at work and I was like trying to focus and I really wanted to be there because I knew how great of an opportunity was it mm-hmm. was. But I was like, desperate for some normalcy and and for some reason in my mind what would be normal would just like have a family and have a relationship and have a partner and so so I ended up getting married to somebody and it was it was a strange relationship to say the least you know on his side he thought that it was for a visa on my side I was like convinced that I was in love and I was going to have this family and I, you know that like picture perfect like horse trainer with their horse trainer partner yeah um life right so yeah. I'd like from the grief I'd created, this is my normal, <laughs> which is absolutely totally. insane. Yeah, no. <laughs> and um, and so anyway, you know, finished out the winter circuit. It was really rocky. I did not put my best foot forward. You know, I was just here, there, and everywhere. And so anyway, this man and I moved to to New York, and and he had ridden and competed in Europe. And at one point, we were fighting because we were not. A good partnership. We definitely should not have been married. <laughs> and um, and he he was like, "You're such a horrible rider. Like, why would anyone give you like good horses to ride? Like, you know, you you know, just like everything that is mean as possible." And I was like, "Oh my god!" And I was like, "Yeah, but all I want to do is learn how to ride. Like, would you please kind of like give me some guidance here?" And he was like, "The only chance you have of getting having an opportunity to be a great rider is to go to Europe." And so it's kind of this like theme throughout my life, right? It's like, I'm like, ooh, Europe, ooh, Europe. And this was like the thing that kind of like like sealed the deal for me. And after I broke up with him, which was like quite shortly after this, like we'd made it to New York, been there for probably a month and I'd left him within that time period. And I, I just started emailing everyone in Europe. I sent my resume, I sent videos of my riding and I was like, I'm a young horse rider. I want to ride in Europe. And like, I just kept saying it. So <laughs> I finally got somebody to respond to me, which was, um, you know, the very famous, very well-known Shakamula. 
And I ended up getting a job with a job interview with them to ride their young horses in Gestut Levitz, which is basically their breeding program. And it's huge. And but but this is what's funny about it to me is like I didn't know who he was at all. I was like, oh cool, I got a job interview. Like, yay. yeah, yeah. Success. <laughs> <laughs> I've made it. Yeah. <laughs> in my mind. So anyway, I, I get a flight over there. A lot of with from a lot of help from a friend of mine who I own a business with now in the US. And, you know, that was a, that's a whole tale in itself as well. You know, I slept in the train station on the way there. I went to the wrong stable. I went to Moulin, which is where they show their competition horses and develop them as well as where they host PSI, their big auction. Mm-hmm. So I got a tour of that. And then I ended up in the right place in Gestut Levitz. I got hired and, and basically that's how I got my foot in the door. And the beginning happened there. So at that point, I was 27. Mm. For some context, I am now 33. So I've been here for um, six years of young horse fun. (laughs) So cool. What does your normal kind of day-to-day schedule look like right now? Oh, right now it's really fun. (laughs) Really fun. So I'm now in the Peelbergen area, uh, which is kind of like a hub for a lot of the sport in, in Europe. So I have four or five of my own horses that I manage and train and ride and compete. And so I actually start at 5 a.m. And I have about a half an hour drive. So I get to the stable between 5.30 and 6, depending on, you know, what's going on. And then I put my horses on the machine. Well, no, I feed first. I take that back. I feed, let them eat a little bit put them on the machine, let them, you know, move their bodies. And then I muck out. I do all of my own stable work. I do have help feeding the horses in the evenings and in the mornings. I mean, and in the afternoons, but, you know, in general, I like to get all the work done as early as possible, unless I'm going to a show or, you know, we have to go try horses or, you know, whatever else is going on. And so I'm done with all the stable work, probably 7.30. Then I have breakfast. And then I start riding and I try to be done around noon. And then in the afternoons, unless again, competition, I'm um, scouting horses, you know, helping clients, making phone calls, working on the internet and, you know, just trying to, to make it all a holistic functioning program. Yeah. Are most of your clients, besides the clients that you work with on a day-to-day basis that, you know, are part of a training program, are a lot of the people you're communicating with back in the U.S. and looking to import? What does that um, kind of process look like for your business? At the moment, because we're, we're, we're growing in the U.S. as like, it's, it's interesting because I'm American and, you know, I have a lot of contacts, but not a lot of people know that I've been out here for so long. And so I have two or three contacts that I speak with pretty much daily in the U.S. about like finding horses for them. But a lot of the clients that I have right now are in um, Sweden. And then, you know, we're just sourcing horses from, you know, locally from Germany, Belgium, and the Netherlands. And so I'm also trying to, you know, trying to help educate the American, the American market a little bit more about 
what this process is like. I have a lot of dressage clients, which I find very interesting because I don't do dressage horses. I do jumping horses. So I find it really fascinating that like, they're like, oh, cool. You know, can you go over here and look at this horse? I'm like, yeah, no problem. And a lot of requests for, you know, like horses that are great for kids, which are really fun to find because, you know, the kid horses here are like really fun. They're just kind of like like big ponies. You just kind of kick them around and you're like, yeah. dee, 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 dee. And so it's really fun. <laughs> That's awesome. When you are scouting for these types of horses or you have um, specific characteristics in mind that you're looking for, are there, you know, whether it's for a kid or for, you know, an adult amateur or a hunter or a jumper, are there, you know, specific traits that the horse has that you are you know, constantly on the search for, not just specifically for discipline, but, you know, like personality or specific disposition or confirmation. Like what what are the, what are the traits that you kind of are always on the lookout for? So for confirmation, I'm always, I look at like the whole of a horse, right? I'm always looking like, does the horse match? Like, is the horse naturally balanced when it comes out of the box? Does it stand in good balance? I don't have something in particular that I love and hate about the confirmation of a horse. And that just came from experience of like having had ridden so many young horses. My biggest thing is balance. Like, is the horse balanced and can it be balanced on its own hind legs? Because that's a really hard thing to change. Like anything that's too downhill, you're just going to be fighting it. Personality-wise, I I see courses that want to work for the rider. And whether it's a kid's horse, whether it's a dressage horse, or it's a horse for like the bigger classes, like I want the feeling from the horse from the time I sit on until the time I get off that like he wants to play with me and that there's never the feeling that he's like, "Mm, maybe not, you know, and if I get that feeling to me, that's a red flag. There are some behavioral things that I know that nobody likes, like, oh, girthy being tacked up and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But I do make a huge distinction between behavioral issues, like, oh, I'm girthy. And obviously that can be a number of things as well. Like it can be an underlying pain thing, which is something to pay attention to. Or it could just be like, they've never told me I don't, I I don't, I can, they've never told me not to stop my feet when they put the girth on. So I'm just going to do it. Right. Um, But to me, they have to be friendly and they have to like people because you can't change the horse that you know, that's just an uphill battle of fight. So to me, it's balance and a good attitude. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. I wanted to take a moment to talk about our wonderful sponsor today, The Modern Horse. If you haven't heard of them before, The Modern Horse is a seasonal subscription service which features equestrian life and style products curated for riders, horse owners, and equestrian lifestyle enthusiasts. Their feature product, The Bit Box, is mailed to subscribers each season every three months and contains five to ten products including clothing, beauty, home decor, leather goods, and more, valued at over $250 and sold in a quarterly or annual bundle subscription. As a brand, The Modern Horse seeks to provide products which feature small female-owned businesses, luxury retailers, and upcoming items to provide subscribers with something they will love in each box. So to find out more and to get your first box, visit their website at themodernhorse.com. That's themodernhorse.com. Thank you so much, The Modern Horse. All right, let's get back to the episode.
I feel like another interesting aspect to what you do is offering kind of training for riders who want to come to Europe to ride or if they have a horse that they are wanting to have some extra help getting developed. So tell me a little bit about that kind of avenue of your business. Yes, I would love to. This is my favorite part because I get to play with other people's horses. Okay, so if a client's approached me and they're like, hey, would you seek out a horse like this, this, and this for me? I'll say, okay, you know, and say we have it in our program. What I'm looking for is for the, I've totally botched this. Could we, <laughs> could we, could you ask yeah, me the course. question again? Yeah, no, no problem. It's like, wait a minute. So I know one of your, you know, kind of aspects of your training program is that you offer different training packages for riders that want to come to Europe and ride or, and, and kind of like gain experience or have a horse that they need help with developing. So tell me a little bit about that avenue of kind of the services that you offer. Yes. So our training packages that we offer are for, you know, for people that would like to experience competition in Europe and maybe not do it with like, you know, the big, big boys, right? You can go to like Stahl Hendricks. You could train with actually whomever you wanted in Europe and they would be like, yeah, great, come over. We're trying to just provide more of a, you know, I really want things to be fun. You know, like I also love to be competitive but I think we learn best and our horses go best when we can just relax and have fun. So our training packages are, you know, you can just come alone and we can let you ride some of our sale horses and you can play around and have fun and just learn from us very closely with a Grand Prix dressage trainer who uh, comes and does flat work with me. And she does the lessons while I ride and while my clients ride so that you as the client can get the experience from the dressage trainer that you can apply to your riding and to your horses. And then as far as jumping, I have uh, a few good friends that I have come and train with me and, you know, we can help you with anything you want to achieve. If you just want to jump around at 90 centimeters and get the European experience, or if you want to do, you know, the meter twenties, meter thirties, the meter 40s, we need to seek a horse for you in that case. But, you know, we can definitely help you achieve these goals and get some of that experience over here. And and like I say, I mean, we're not the like, <laughs> we're not the Christian Almonds and we're not Al Shakmula, you know, but for me, it's just about enjoying it, having fun, getting out in the ring and getting experience that you as a rider and your horse, if you bought a horse here or if you're leasing a horse or whatever program you choose, then you can step into back into the ring in the U.S. and have a lot more confidence and an understanding of how things are done in Europe. Um, and then with young horses, we can... We can do a lot. We can help you scout young horses. We can develop them from the beginning. And when I say young horses, I mean like two two year olds for the future, which would need some time in the field, obviously. Three year olds, and then you know, starting our three year olds into their fourth year, getting them showing, getting them legged up for their five, six, whatever, until the owner is ready to take the horse over in the U.S. or sell or whatever they'd like to do. Or, I mean, even if you've just bought something and you want an American to ride it for a month before it comes to the U.S., that's also something we offer, you know, so that you can have our opinion on what it feels like, how easy we think it's going to be for you to continue to develop. And we'll, you know, I can be quite brutally honest. I'll be like, uh, yeah, it does this, this, and this. And, you know, I hope that that's 
what the seller told you, but we're going to be able to find if it has a cork before you get it over there. And um, I think that's a little bit of the fear that people have buying is they're like, oh, but what if it has like a rear or a stop or it's afraid of other horses and they didn't tell us, you know, like these are things that happen, unfortunately. And I know most people, most people that sell try really hard to say everything, but stuff still slips through the cracks. So that's what we offer. Definitely. That's so cool. I mean, are are those possible services, do they also come in a form of like someone wanting to come over and be a working student? How does, is there like a big range of, you know, types of people or types of experiences people are looking for? Yes, we're definitely open to taking a working students on. You know, I, I myself was a working student for so long and an opportunity like, 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 if I can give the opportunity back to somebody like, like who I was as a, as a kid yeah. or as a young adult, like, oh my God, it would be like a dream come true. Like I want to share so much. It's, it's a little uncomfortable sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so yeah, yeah, so we're definitely open to like anything. So as you are kind of growing and building this really cool you know, business for yourself and an opportunity for others within the community. What would you kind of say? I mean, obviously, this last year has been very different than what we've seen with with COVID and horse shows being definitely a lot less or a lot different. What does this next year kind of look for look like for you? And how does uh, this affect your business with people coming to Europe to look at horses or, you know, importing process? What, what has that all been like for you? Oh, man. Well, at the moment, things are like taking off in a way that I'm like, whoa, didn't expect that. Yeah. <laughs> um, and and it's, it's really a blessing. Like, I'm so excited. I wake up every day like, it's it's finally happening. So this next year, you know, I'd like it to continue on the pace that it's at. I honestly don't know how much travel is going to stay open or continue to open back up with the like recent Delta variant with COVID. You know, we have seen a lot more American clients coming over and trying horses again, mm-hmm. but there's also a lot of people that are we're more comfortable buying off a of video now. And that's been great for me because, you know, I have the freedom to be able to travel and I go and try a lot of horses for people and just give the feedback and watch vet checks and, and do a lot of that hands-on help. So I really foresee a lot more of that going on. And if things do start to open up, you know, I would really love to invite as many people over as possible. As far as exporting on my end, it's it's just habitual for me to be like, no, we export horses. But if you're in the US, it's being imported. Mm-hmm. So it's 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 been a it's been a wild year. I mean I've got I've probably had four horses that have gone this year and I'm looking for at least two or three more in the next week or so. Cool. So um, it's really like, I'm like, oh, I might be doing a lot of this. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. it's been fun. I'm looking forward to it a lot. 
so cool. That's so exciting. What would you say is an area of the equestrian industry that you're super passionate about that you feel like the rest of the equestrian community either just doesn't know that much about or doesn't talk that much about? For me, this is uh, there's two big things. And, and I think I'm just going to focus on pre-purchase exams and x-rays this time. Oh, yeah. I used to be a little more like uptight about it and like, oh, it does need to be perfect for resale and, and all these things. And the more I've been in Europe and the more that I've talked to people at the top of the sport, all the way down to the bottom of the sport, from breeders to to owners, to riders, to hobby riders, to just everyone, I have found that this overemphasis on, on perfect x-rays to be a little extreme. You know, I think a lot of excellent horses get passed up over things that I'm like, this is so minor. Like if you really like if the horse is really this good of a fit and it just has one chip and it's a chip that most vets, especially in Europe, are like, it's never going to bother the horse. I mm-hmm. wouldn't worry about it. Yeah. And the U.S. vets are like, nope, it's a chip. We have to pass. We have to pass. It's a chip. Right. You know, I'm like, you've just lost out on something that could have been perfect and it doesn't have the super high price tag because you know, it's the x-rays aren't perfect. And the people also know that they're like, oh, we can't really ask the the top dollar for it. Sure. It might be easy to ride and it might be really friendly and it Mm -hmm. might check all the boxes, but it has a chip. And so what I really wish a lot more people would do is talk to more vets with different opinions about different x-rays. And you're going to find that like nothing is consistent. Right. You know, I found like stuff with the navicular being like, oh, life ending for this horse. Mm-hmm. But another vet's like, oh, the x-ray is from a three-year-old to this point as an eight-year-old. Nothing's changed. The horse should be fine. Like mm. that's all we can say. But if it's never been lame and it's had the same navicular for all those years, you're probably not going to have a huge problem. So I just wish that there was more research done. I wish people would talk about it more and I wish people would be a little bit more forgiving because I know personally, I would never pass a pre-purchase exam and my x-rays would be horrifying. (laughs) (laughs) I know it's so interesting to think about and just the fact a lot of times, you know, at the pre-purchase exam point, these horses have already had, you know, a start of their career and they're fully athletes and there's the the chances of horses having perfectly clean x-rays are pretty low. And so <laughs> it's it's really, yeah, it's really dicey. And I get, you know, you know, being on the other end and and importing horses and just having that risk, especially if things with COVID have made things differently with a higher tolerance of buying off a of video versus, you know, going over to try or having your trainer go over to try and just having that kind of security blanket of a clean x-ray. So I get mm-hmm. it. But at the same time, it's like, they're athletes. They, there are so many, you know, things that might show up on an x-ray that the horse will continue to perform at its, you know, highest, you know, possible way and with or without that, you know, minor thing. But it's sometimes so hard for people to get past when they see stuff come up on an x-ray like that. Yeah, absolutely. And and I love the the idea of a pre-purchase exam and x-rays of being a fact-finding mission. And you know, exactly as you're saying here, it's the if this athlete hasn't suffered from this bad x-ray and it's not showing up in its work and affecting him, you know, and they ride hard here. You know, people aren't like, "Oh, 20 minutes." They're like, "No, you work and you work." Like 
it would have came up lame. And, and there are some x-rays that I'm saying in all fairness, like you should run from, but you know, I think if it's really, truly minor, I think we should learn more about that. And, and I think we should keep a, a bit more of a fact finding mission, open mind rather than a, Oh, nope, we found a chip. Gotta sure, go. <laughs> sure. Yeah. I think that that's a really good point and something that, yeah, it would be interesting to hear more from or hear a perspective of, because also like what you were alluding to that vets have maybe varying ideas about what is more of a deal breaker versus not. And so, yeah, it's, it's hard when there maybe isn't, you're, you're relying um, a lot on the previous owner or your vet or the vet over there. And it's hard when maybe they're all three saying different things or having different opinions. So yeah, I think continuing that conversation so that there is maybe continued research and some of those, you know, scary things that we don't know a lot about can get a little bit more demystified. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And, And I think that's the nail on the head, right? Is that like, it's a conversation, you know, and this vet may say that thing and your vet may say the other, but like, there's nothing wrong with asking like two or three more vets. You're not like, you know, like maybe they've had real experience with this exact thing and can say, yeah, we had a horse that had that and like never bothered him. Mm -hmm. Or we had a horse that had this other thing and like, hey, I wouldn't recommend it, you know, and then you have more. So no, I love it. I love opening conversations and like, you know, trying to just get people to think differently about things. Yeah. Yeah. For, for someone listening who would want to get in touch with you, whether they are maybe interested in importing horse or looking to get some experience in Europe, or they're already in Europe and wanting to maybe have you help them with their horse, how would they get in touch? Probably the easiest way is via my website. It's uh, youngsporthorses.com. My email is on there as well as my phone number and and they can just send an email, send a WhatsApp, send a text, and I'll get back to them. Amazing. Awesome. Well, Kim, thank you so much for taking the time. I think you have a really cool story and you offer some really amazing things that I think a lot of people are looking for, or looking into, or maybe looking to do themselves. So I think you are a wealth of knowledge. And I hope that people listening who are interested reach out because I think you have such a cool story and I just wish you all the best. Oh my God. Thank you, Beth. Thank you so much for talking to me. This is like such a cool, fun experience. I really appreciate it. All right. That is all I have for you today. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you liked what you heard, please take a minute and write a review on iTunes. I would so appreciate it. It helps people like you find the podcast and it helps me get some killer guests. Thank you so much. And I will talk to you next week.